0: Next on the Well of Sound...
1: How about it for Marvin Gaye!
0: That um, how this story ended, but I didn't know the details, and it always just kind of stuck in my head as a you know, little little piece of trivia that I knew, but I didn't know why. But I was always like, "How the hell did that
2: happen?" Yeah, you you have to you ask yourself what, what did it because that's that doesn't happen by accident usually, and uh, and it, not to hear that his father like killed him in an accident, but his father shot him to death. Shot him to death.
0: The, this story is is sort of. The end is firmly planted in the in the beginning with this father, this this Marvin Senior.
2: His relationship with his dad is so troubled, like it it's in the, um you know, the the annals of troubled father son relationships in rock and roll and soul music is full of absent dads and you know difficult abusive fathers. And Marvin Gaye's, I mean, but none of these guys' dads uh, killed him. I mean, it's just it, that that doesn't happen. He was, his dad was a was a Pentecostal. A minister, a preacher, and of the sort of real fire and brimstone type, and uh, but kind of washes out, it, like in in his late 30s, early 40s, and you get the sense that he washes out because uh, he's got a lot of problems. This man, like he's um, got a terrible temper. He's a he's a he's a cross dresser, and Marvin was always talks about being embarrassed about his
0: dad. But right. Not- this is a big this is a big player for him. I mean, th- there's just a few things at play. For Marvin, as a kid, that he's going to carry with him into adulthood, uh, and that is wanting love from his father, having the utter shit beaten out of him by his father, God and religion being of the utmost importance to to his father, and then you know this this alternate lifestyle of being a cross-dresser and the neighborhood knowing about it, and that Marvin is compensating, and his and his brother are compensating. With every interaction, as as young men, um, with the the reputation of their of their father,
2: especially after he stops being in church, basically, he sort of he's he's almost like two. He's one of these guys that who's who's. Uh his he's too his theology is too pure like for any of the churches around and so he kind of writes himself out of the 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 script yeah exactly he's the guy in the witch who's just he's a church of of (laughs) one and he uh yeah he uh he but for all intents and purposes he's just around the house not really doing anything and marvin's mother's the one uh Putting the, the food on the table and the protector
0: of, of Marvin, and he talks about even as a kid, sort of uh, considering suicide as an as an option uh, as escape from from this holy terror in in his house and his mother being the only the only one. So really, love is at the center of of what Marvin wants, and is also like the the only good feeling. Uh, protective feeling that exists that that keeps him from danger.
3: I didn't start playing with uh, the kids until I was well in my teens. I was always a loner, which is, I guess is why I can grow and be alone now, rather nicely without any um, too many problems.
2: Yeah, there's 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 so much psychology in this story that it's it's almost um, anachronistic because it's so early when it when it's happening. And Marvin's born in like 1939, I think. And he's, um, when anyone around his family is interviewed, they all say, oh, yeah, uh, Marvin Sr. did not like Marvin. He didn't want to have him. He was, he resented him. He, like, they all say, oh, yeah, he just, he never liked his son, like, at all. And it was very clear that there was a lot of um, dramas being acted out on behalf, on in young Marvin, old Marvin and the mother. And this is a really dysfunctional family. Probably Marvin Sr. was diagnosable in a number of different ways. And in a different era, he would have been institutionalized.
0: And it sounds like they did... um, The only sort of good moments that they they ever had were in church when Marvin was singing and the dad was accompanying Marvin on kind of banging it out on piano while his son sang, as long as it was, you know, singing um, uh, religious tunes. So that's sort of the the only good moments he has with his dad as a child. And so then he flees and joins the Air Force, um, which doesn't go well.
2: (laughs) He gets kicked out pretty quickly. (laughs) Marvin has a lifelong, because of his relationship with his dad, he's got a lifelong uh, push and pull with authority, shall we say. And uh, he's constantly anyone in authority in his life. He is um, loving them and hating them, and just testing the boundaries and blowing up and running back. And uh, it's a it's a fascinating kind of yo-yo effect. But yeah, he he gets a, and there's interviews with him talking about yeah, I got out of the army dishonorable <laughs> discharge. They <laughs> said I could not like conform to authority. It was it was all of like three months or something.
0: And so then he starts to sing. I guess sort of the, the doo-wop R&B um, scene around D.C. or the Mid-Atlantic at the time and, and joins a group called the Marquise, um, and they end up somehow working with Bo Diddley.
2: And they, I know that they sing Backup. Marvin Gaye sang Backup on Chuck Berry's song Back in the USA. Really? In 1959. 1959, Marvin Gaye is singing Backup for Chuck Berry. Wow. Yep.
0: And then he falls in with um, Harvey Fuqua, who's this. Harvey Fuqua is sort of a a key character in in moving Marvin to the next level. Um, Mm -hmm. And Fuqua is kind of a band leader type. Is that? I think so. Is Uh, is that right? He's definitely a producer and sort of has a knack for um, the record business. um, At an early age, he has his own band called the the Moon Glows, and. and there is one track of, of of The Moon Glows, Harvey and the Moon Glows, where uh, uh, Marvin sings lead.
1: a We're gonna
2: travel a long distance from my Holy <laughs> mac- <laughs> from- <laughs> my coochie, my coochie. Um, though maybe not in another way yeah in the end
0: um, the Moonglows touch sort of are, are in the circle of chess records um, but eventually they they break up and mm-hmm. Harv and Marv head to Detroit
2: head to Detroit where Hitsville USA is just, just, just happening. getting off the ground Barry Gordy's label Motown, Motor City Records is, um, is just beginning. And I know, like, I didn't realize, but very early on, he writes, or he co-writes uh, the song Beachwood 45789 Yeah, uh, for the Marvelettes, which, you know, the Marvelettes, I think, are one of the great uh, girl groups of all time. And that's an awesome song, but he's, he gets out there. And, you know, um, it probably it should be said that Marvin's dream is not to be a R&B singer. Marvin's dream, and he, it's this dream that he doesn't give up on throughout his entire career. He wants to be the black Frank Sinatra. That's what he says. He says, I want to be the black Frank Sinatra, sort of Nat King Cole's you know, yeah. reincarnation. Yeah and that's where he, he tries to convince them to sign him as the as the new Sinatra as this suave balladeer and the first record that motown puts out of his just completely it's it's along those lines it completely flops
0: i feel like it's kind of a snooze it's it's exactly what you might expect from somebody emulating nat king cole or or sinatra it's 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 just, it seems like it's probably five years too late, right? Yeah,
2: it, it's, not, it's not that good. I mean, it's, it's not you kind bad. of heard one, one, you've heard them all, and, and you'd rather just hear Sinatra do it, um, or if you know what Gay is capable of, you'd rather just hear him do right. Marvin Gaye songs. Because none right. of these are songs that he's written. He wants to do standards, and right. that is his interest. I mean, that is also where part of, I think, his vocal chops come from. He studies this stuff. The, inf- totally. the inflections, but and in,
0: in the meantime, he's uh, he's doing session work as a drummer for Harvey Fuqua's uh, label Tri-Fi, mm-hmm. um, and then I guess probably for for Motown as well as he transitions. This is about like
3: nineteen sixty nineteen sixty one. Harvey had more than the financial interest in one of the labels, but uh, that's another story. Yes. Um, he um, and uh, Gwendolyn Fuqua Barry Gordy's uh, sister were married husband and wife and they had a record company called Tri-Fi Records uh, uh, which Barry Gordy ultimately bought out and, uh, and Tri-Fi merged with the Gordy label. Now was it Harvey or Anna who brought you to Barry? Well I I would imagine I would imagine it was
0: Harvey and Gwen and Anna and, um, Providence. Fuqua ends up marrying Gwen Gordy and instantly kind of pulls uh, Marvin into the, you know, the royal circle and a, a, a love affair begins between Marvin and Barry Gordy's other sister, not Gwen, but Anna.
2: Who, it must be said is 17 years older than Marvin Gaye. So he's, yeah. he's 19 when he meets her right. and she is 36, which, um, you know, by anyone's reckoning, that's not a common, uh, you know, combination. And, uh, everyone, it raises a lot of eyebrows and right. it begins the, um, kind of armchair again, psychoanalysis of Marvin Gaye. Like, was he, uh, looking for his mother? And I mean, he talks about it himself. You read interviews with him, and he's very articulate on the subject of his own contradictions. <laughs> <laughs> he said that's his great obsession in life. I think is him himself and his his tortured right. psyche. But yeah, the Anna Gordy Marvin Gay, uh, you know, union is troubled from the start um and anna it's like works at motown she 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 writes some songs she's, she's the real
0: deal right she's a songwriter she's you know when when motown was starting i mean she was really she had, i think already was working in the record industry and and forging a path with her siblings uh to make this thing happen
2: so she's she's no joke i mean these gordies let's face it they uh they had <laughs> they're tough man they had some uh, guts and, and, and courage and all sort, all stuff. Whatever you need to uh, chutzpah, you know, to, right. to get forward in a, in a business that was not kind to them. And yet they completely buy, you know, it's, it's a, it becomes one of the biggest labels in the world in a, in a few short years. Because this is, I mean, we're talking, they, they get married. I think he, he records his first major record, which is Stubborn Kind of Fellow.
0: 63, Sixty-three.
2: Right? it's co-written mostly with mickey stevenson and this mm-hmm. is marvin saying okay that one flopped he and barry have a terrible uh you know f- knockdown dragout, drag out which is the first of many many of these and he where he's barry says you need to be doing r&b and not or and pop and not this crooner right. stuff and so uh, for what maybe it's anna that gets him to do it but it records a whole record of him he co-writes all the songs we on and the stubborn kind of fellow like it has a has a few minor hits
0: and he writes the, i mean I think the lyrics right to stubborn kind of fellow and it is it's him to a t right he is the, he is the stubborn kind of fellow <laughs>
2: It's it's that early Motown sound before right. you get the um the the, the, the funkier uh, influence and the and the, the but the strings are starting to be there you know the, 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 the it's worth saying like what is the Motown sound because uh, it's instantly recognizable. And I remember uh, in in the book that David Ritz writes about uh, Marvin Gaye called Divided Soul, which is a perfect title once you get to know uh, Marvin Gaye. Um, He says that the sound of Motown is really the sound of James Jamerson, the bassist. Oh, who was just constantly uh, he was just he was a hyperactive bassist one of the, really the first he's the most influential uh, bassist probably of m- the modern sort of pop era even though he was not well known he's part of the group called the Funk Brothers who are right. the house band at Motown who don't get credited on a single right. one thing one more
0: house band that we've been talking <laughs> you know we, we talk about these these uh, unappreciated dudes who, who basically wrote the, the best songs of all times and here come the Funk. Brothers, as as one more of those that group,
2: exactly, and they're probably the best, the greatest of all, um, right? And there's there's a number of them, like it's kind of a swinging door after a while, but he's yeah. he's got you listen to those bass lines and they're elastic and fun, and there's a lot of sort of missing notes and then added little runs, and um, but it's not just that; it's the strings, I think, it's the it's yeah, the, and uh, the percussion. There's always not just drums, but some kind of like. Um, bongos or uh, just tambourine or something like yeah. that so it's, it's a, there's a, always a very like soaring aspect to that stuff because it's still very poppy it's not, it's not super elastic it's, it's kind of measured but it's, it's joyful in a way that they kind of make their own
3: in those days we all worked with each other with love and uh, I worked just as hard on the drums and the piano with every other act but I like that distinction. I, I was thinking about that the other day, you know? The Supremes, the Attempts, Gladys Knight, Miracles. Some part of every group has participated on some record, some recording of mine, especially in the early years of the 60s.
0: Some of the other Motown artists at the time talk about. Uh, Marvin on stage <laughs> and just how clunky of a dancer he he is. It's really funny. Uh, I think
2: it's like uh, Martha Reeves or someone is saying that. Like yeah. we used to sit at the on the side of the stage and just laugh because he's he was such a masterful singer and such a terrible dancer.
0: I'm totally reading into it, but um, you know he's got such a cool vibe and a, it's such a standoffish vibe, a little bit of a holier than thou um, thing. Um, and I think that that rings true with him wanting to do standards and and not doing the the, um, the status quo, and then dipping in and saying like, okay, I can I can do the thing you want me to do, but uh, likewise, doing the dance is sort of like playing again anti-authority, playing into what what the thing is, and so it's it's a little bit. Um, uh, he's throwing his attitude around and I also wonder there's also this this sort of uber masculine thing that runs um, throughout his lifetime. I wonder if like if dancing he almost considers as as not a feminine or life. something or yeah
2: it bears saying too that like he's a he's a sex symbol from the word go I mean he's he's right. very good looking and right. uh, charismatic and one of the things you know when i th- when I think of Marvin Gaye, the iconic Pictures of Marvin Gaye, most of them are from the "What's Going On" era, and he's got a beard yeah. and usually some sort of skull cap on. Yeah. But Marvin Gaye in the you know in the '60s was always wearing a suit and right. he was clean shaven and just looked like yeah. a million bucks. And it's this is another thing that he struggles with. At least the biographers say that he he both loves women and hates them, and he resents uh, his sort of role and and what he what what he feels women want from him. Versus mm-hmm. what he feels he can give them, or what they're what gotcha. there's a there's again a real push and pull with him and all of this stuff, which is kind of an I think because yeah, it's really hard not to get into this guy's psychology because it's so on the surface. Those are
3: human, normal feelings to have. Yeah, but that's just it. I don't want to feel human and normal. I just want to be an artist. I hate those human, normal feelings. I like the feelings I have as an artist when I'm out in the woods in the rain or sitting by myself in the sun and having God shine on me. I like that calling much better. I don't like the idea of um, those other little nasty, nagging things that I like to get back at each at people because of my Aries blood.
0: Motown is a factory where everybody plays their part and nobody the, the lines don't bleed at all. The artists do what the artists do. The producers do what the producers do. So he has not yet uh, had the opportunity to, to sort of get behind the board. Um, and in, in, now he's playing the Motown game. He's, he's doing well as an artist. And so Barry Gordy uh, plays off the sex appeal and pairs him w- with his first of several um, female artists and Mary Wells is the first one.
3: I wasn't very happy with a, a, a lot of the decisions that were made about my career in the early years, but I should have been as it has proven out and very appreciative, in fact, as I am now. But at the time, I was most rebellious to a lot of decisions made like those or a decision like that. Nothing personal, of course, the uh, my singing partners, but I, you know, I wasn't very happy, of course. I think they were great decisions now, but there was very Gordy's um, idea. Kiss.
1: Kiss. kiss, 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 All night
2: alone. He has better duet partners. I mean, he's got. Yeah. Unlike, he he bounces.
0: Kim Weston's the next big one with "It Takes and, Two, which is probably the the, the most. Um, Notable of those early pairings.
2: And people know, um, they, they, they know that song, I think. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible song. One can have a
1: dream, baby. Two can make that dream so real. One can talk about being in love. Two can say how it really feels. One can worship on a star. Two can make that wish come true, yeah. One can stand. Make the light shine through. It takes two, baby. It
2: takes two, baby. Me and you. I, I like that song. Um, I, I especially like how sort of fast it is. After Stubborn Kind of Fellow, his next reel, attempted his own stardom is this you know how sweet it is to be loved by you which is a holland dozier holland we've talked of about course. them in terms of honeycomb yeah. we've talked about them. they're i'm um, it's such an a, aficionado of holland dozier holland yeah. and they they kind of they helm that record and that record how sweet it is to be loved by you the record you know it's it it's got a huge hit with you're a wonderful one try it baby but then it's got buried on there is the, this song Yeah uh-huh. That's the song, Baby Don't You Do It, which opens... I know that one. The Last Waltz, the, the band plays that That's in 1978. Heard. They they record a version of it on Rock of Ages, which I happen to actually greatly prefer to... Levon Helm singing? Yeah, and, right? and he drums, the, you know, like the the devil is on his heels. I mean, it's an incredible uh, performance. And uh, But also... The Who cover Baby Don't You Do It. They actually record a version of it. So, uh, and, and, you know, the number of early Marvin Gaye songs that uh, that the British invasion taps a hold of. Like, Can I Get a Witness is an early Marvin Gaye hit that the Rolling Stones record. Uh, when yeah. the Beatles Come to America, the first song they asked Murray the K to play is Pride and Joy by Marvin Gaye. Uh, wow. You have just... You know how sweet it is to be loved by you. Of course, is not only like a it becomes a major hit for James Taylor, but I think don't don't oh, yeah. the Grateful Dead play that like? And that's not a British Invasion, but yeah, the, yeah, you're right. These songs are beloved. That whole record is is pretty great if you like that classic Motown sound. That's that was released in 1965. The how sweet it is to be loved by you record.
0: I really like the um, the moods of Marvin Gaye. Is that the, the that's the next the, one? The next
2: that's one. That's the Smokey Robin. That, so a year later. Smokey Robinson, who's his, Barry Gordy's like right-hand man, who's, you know, not only fronting the Miracles, but also writing a lot of songs, he agrees to, because um, they're yet another huge fight, you know, with with Barry Gordy, and Gay uh, ends up, um, I think, the shifting gears again, and Smokey's like, I can help him, I can help him, and uh, so they record that record, <laughs> The Moods of Marvin Gaye, which has, again, hit after hit after hit, including, the opening song, I think. Isn't the opening song, I'll Be Dog Gone?
0: Yeah, I'll Be Dog Gone. Um, one More Heartache. Ain't That Peculiar, the uh, the, the song that Fanny covers. Oh, uh, God,
2: that's... What, I, that. I, I, okay, I forgot about that. Because, you know, also, I'll Be Dog Gone, there's a famous clip of Tina Turner duetting with uh, yes. Marvin Gaye on Shindig. And, like, you know, these orbits were not the same. And uh, here you have Tina singing I'll Be Dog Gone.
0: I really like... Um, you're the One for Me. Do you know that No, play it. Oh, my God.
1: Maybe there'll come a time when I won't be sad and lonely. Just suppose I could love you from the very start. Maybe. Heaven knows I could show you and open the heart, baby. You're the one that I've been waiting for in this loneliness forevermore. Baby, I know you're the one for me.
2: Wow. I love that. That's fantastic.
0: You know, he does somber like nobody's business oh if he has to. And, and that song in particular is just, by the end, it's just effortless and it's so beautiful. And I, I, I will rewind the last 30 seconds of that song over and over again it's it's so i mean good. that's
2: a major record 1966 moods of marvin Gaye, and at that point he's also all of his solo singles are being interspersed with these duets with that again at this point it's with kim weston and the it takes two right but then you get we get very the big the, one. 1967 uh a woman named tammy montgomery is discovered barry gordy insists that she change her name to Tammy Terrell, this is a, yeah. a young lady who has been in a very tumultuous relationship with none other than James Brown.
1: Ooh, 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 ooh! I got a good
2: thing.
0: I mean, Marvin's story is pretty damn tragic, but Tammy Terrell's story is is uber tragic. You mean, um, yes. you know, rape at an early age, and then a series of super abusive uh relationships um, including James Brown who I mean the kind of changed everything for me frankly um, the, reading some of the stuff that that he did the physical abuse that that happened with her. Yeah well then um, then
2: she leaves that relationship and right. And- and- dates David Ruffin at The Temptations and I mean just apparently w- he hit worse after hits worse hits her with a hammer or something. I mean it's, it's really it's horrible uh, she's um, yeah she, poor Tammy uh, she's got the and, c- coolest voice of one of the greatest voices like pure sass it's so and you know when, when, when uh, they talk about her character they say that she was a real grown up like she was sort of a woman of the world I, I liked
3: Tammy she was pretty and she was nice and she was soft and warm and sweet and misunderstood and I enjoyed working with her and that couple with Ashford and Simpson made the project an enjoyable.
2: You know, right off the bat right off the bat you have ashford and simpson sort of valerie right. uh simpson and nick ashford nicholas ashford who are, you know he's one he look, he literally <laughs> nick looks ashford, like what, how do you describe as a him? kid i just remember seeing nick ashford as a kid and being like who is that person <laughs> <laughs> like, i've never seen he looks like, like the that. cowardly guys, lion i mean he, he definitely he that, looks that's like exactly right <laughs>
0: oh my god uh
2: he went for You've it i've seen
0: him before he, he's, he's got the so Ashford and Simpson had some some great sort of disco-y hits in the 70s and then early uh, early 80s Solid Solid Leg like of Rock is is their most popular song
1: it was no time to play we build it up and up. build it up and build it up and now it's solid
0: Found the cure is a great song.
2: Um, <laughs> they're they're sort of they, they are dying to get into the Motown, and like they a songwriting duo is really what they are. Right. And the song that Married they've couple. got in their back pocket to get them launched is this one. I mean that's a, a American perfection is what you call that song. I mean it's that that song. You know if you look on Spotify, for example, it has yeah. and Marvin has a lot of you know big songs and big hits. That song has double the amount of plays of any other song. And by and by oh, that really? I mean 500 million. You know, uh, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, that. That enduring of a standard, and it's been in so many, you know, movies and things like that. And you know what? They didn't. They didn't record it together. together. They recorded it. That's that's two people in different studios. They recorded the whole thing, and then they're like, "Hey, this would work better as a duet." And so they splice the vocals together.
0: And then they go on to to, they go on tour together and sing live together. And I think it really sort of brings Marvin out of his shell on stage to have. to have confidence with this other person and, and have this chemistry that's undeniable um they say that their relationship is is platonic and that he sort of treats her like a, a, a little sister mm-hmm.
2: david I ruffin would kill to him leave they... it <laughs> right, uh,
0: right. who knows what would got to deal with that that mania um so so yeah it's a very strong bond between the two of them and and i think it probably uh reads uh in the in the audience but um in 1967 right down the road from us uh at hampton sydney in uh in virginia is uh uh, tammy collapses on stage in marvin Gaye's arms and it is discovered that she has a brain tumor
2: she gets an operation and then they record another record called you know you're all i need to get by uh yeah. and uh, it's got this ain't nothing like the real thing I mean these are standard after standard after standard these are these are big big songs and they sound so good uh, and so joyful um, and yet yet again what you find out is that Marvin is an extremely unhappy person and very totally. very insecure and unsure <clears> of <throat> himself um, despite and sort of the more success he has the more. Um, unsure he is and he's given to self-sabotage as, as well as a real pushing against uh, Barry Gordy who he love hates You know,
3: I don't think I'd have it any other way. I'm very proud of Barry Gordy jr. Who is a black man who is who has managed to survive in such a in such an awful such a, a Competitive uh, field of music um, I have great respect for him. He's a very great man actually and uh, in fact, it's interesting, um, I've always been in a good rapport with him, not because I was in the family, but because, of course, it helped a lot. Um, I was quite, um, for all my problems now, I was much worse, I guess you can imagine, when I was younger, probably totally uncontrollable. Um, I'm very stubborn, I'm arrogant, I'm egotistical, I'm also lovable, I'm also warm, I'm a lot of things, but um, it depends, I'm principled, I'm unprincipled sometimes, I am probably quite schizophrenic, I'm very difficult to live with, I don't imagine any woman could live with me for any appreciable amount of time, it's been proven all my life, and I'm afraid I'll accept
2: that. One of his other foils during this period is a guy named Norman Whitfield.
0: I don't know this story. Well,
2: Norman Whitfield is he—he um, he is one of the producers. He's kind of responsible for the psychedelic soul sound that the Temptations get. Papa was oh, a Rolling yeah. Stone, that sort of stuff. And Whitfield is the one who has written a song with Barrett Strong. Barrett Strong, who's the, who has scores the very first hit for Motown, I think in 1962 with the song "Money That's What I Want." You know the. Oh yeah. Um, yep. Strong and Whitfield write a song that Gladys Knight and the Pips record. I heard it through the grapevine. In a totally different way. And it goes to the top of the charts.
3: Something that just sort of ticks her off about the whole period through the grapevine situation. There was something unethical involved. On that score, she has a beef. But the reality of the situation is that Norman cut it on me first and very candidly, because he didn't have a lot of faith in it, or for whatever reason, because he had the power of the can. It's, you know, maybe I was acting uh, ridiculous at the time. He said, well, you know, I not have to put the record on the guy. You know, he's ridiculous. I mean, you know, the hell with it. Oh, it's happened a few times, you know. And, you know, I would do the same thing if somebody was giving me a lot of trouble. Then I must say I've given him some problems. So, <laughs> as a result of it being on the can, Norman knew he had a good song. So he cut it on Gladys and he put it out she came out with the version first my song had been in the can for over a year and then uh, after she put it out then Motown released it on me which to gladys is a bit unethical because you know you don't want anybody from your own company covering your own you know a record it's unethical in a sense you know there's something not good about it but it's no fault of mine i hope gladys understand that i didn't have any control of the situation at all it was a fun
0: song about a uh, not fun thing
2: well and, and, and course, they realize that mr unhappy marvin gay can can get it across <laughs> in a different way and whitfield <laughs> is always pushing marvin to sing out of his register the same way he did with ain't too proud to beg for you know david ruffin they push oh. him if you listen to gay's version of i heard it through the grapevine he's at the top of his range and he's he's pissed about it he doesn't like that interesting but um I didn't know There's that. like a series of songs. The, al- the album that comes out in 1968 is called In the Groove. It gets re- yep. retitled, uh, I Heard It Through the Grapevine, but it's all basically Norman Whitfield productions of, of him f- putting Marvin's feet to the fire to get him to sing in a way that when, when you listen to his later stuff, he never sings in that register. And in the early stuff, right. he almost never does too.
3: So I tried to interpret what I thought they felt and it was very taxing on my voice because I was still finding my voice. I was still finding how to control my voice and how to sing harsh but yet not tear my throat out and uh, how to get up on some of the notes and I never quite made it in some cases other cases I would but I was still very experimental my voice was in a very experimental stage with their kind of music because it needed the roughness and the these the softness in spots and it was very difficult to control my voice like they wanted me to because they cut the song it's very high and I would get very angry at them for cutting it very high, but they say, they would always say that had they not cut them that high, that uh, they wouldn't have sold like they did. Because when you're very high at the point where you are about to gag or you're about to kill yourself or have a stroke or something, and that's how we used to record, I used to look at them. Um, uh, Levi Stubbs, the Four Tops, in the studio sometimes, man, I wonder his veins were popping out, his neck muscles were about doing that, to stop the tape and <laughs> scream, scrap, spray his throat and call in the respiratory unit, hold it, man, hold it. <laughs> I would do the same thing, you know, I said, oh my god, I can't sing this song, man, please, please do something. But we had to finally get through with it, it we were killing us. If You listen to some of those old records, you know what I mean. I'm saying. <laughs> you know and it is rough.
2: but then you you hear like uh you know uh you let's hear that one Record is full of these, like, kind of. There's someone mean, following me. I'm in intense pain. Kind of paranoid anthems that reflect Marvin's internal life.
0: I think I understand why, at least in in the case of you, and uh, there's a couple tracks on the next album, uh, why he might have kicked back at the, at pushing his his uh, his voice to that sound. I mean. Maybe it was just physical that he didn't like it, but also you sounds like a four top song and you know, he's still, uh, somebody else's puppet Mm -hmm. and I, and, and somebody else dictating his sound is clearly not something that he likes and he's going to spend the next, uh, 10 to 12 years forging a path for himself but, but um, that is not that's, that's not
2: song. that's not that sound he abandons that yeah. sound but there's two more records of it there's this the album the, the, right. the song the mpg the one called mpg where he looks sort of like benson on the cover
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is so strange i was like is that marvin it doesn't gay? look like it him. looks like marvin Gaye's yeah. cousin or something it's <laughs>
2: like melvin gay
0: <laughs> melvin gay that's right I mean, that wreck that's that album it's a cool record and every song sounds like I heard it. A- every song, and you know what? Why not? Like if
2: if, if you're gonna right. try to like bitter pill to swallow, if you're gonna try to recreate like it, temptation. Yeah, it's it's awesome. All I love that basically there's not a bad song. The, the the end of our road is a great song. That's the way love is. Is is probably the closest copycat of I heard it through the grapevine. Ah! then there's a 1970, they, they, that's the way Love Is does so well that they kind of put a bunch of sort of other songs in there, including his version of uh, Yesterday, which I'm not that big a fan of, but there's a song, uh, th- he does a version of Abraham, Martin, and John, which does extremely well in England, which right. is kind of croony. Yeah.
3: And I remember the lights were very strangely lit that night, and um, I felt very, very sincere when i recorded that song abraham martin and john and it may have very well started me thinking about social problems and uh, and the uh, uh world situations and situations that confront all of us socially you know i may it may have been responsible for for the uh, the what's going on album
2: but then i love this song don't you miss me a little bit baby this is from 1970 right before what's going on the big one
1: Don't
0: Reminds me of his Cloud Nine cover too, which is also what do awesome.
2: When you think though, within like a, a, a few months, he's going to be recording What's Going On. You're like, yeah, wow, yeah. he really shifts gears.
0: So a lot happens in in yeah. that. Let's period. talk about it. I, I think there's a suicide attempt. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, One of I think three very serious suicide attempts in yeah. his life. Uh, and Tammy Terrell passes away. She, and when um, she dies, I think he says, "I'm never going to wear a suit again."
0: Oh, that's and right. And he also grows this a this thing grows you told a beard. Me about. Like he, he grows a beard, but also, what does he replace the suit well, with?
2: Well, apparently, he is the first. He at least says that he should be credited with introducing the fad of wearing Adidas tracksuits. That, like, rappers would, you know, early, you know, the Sugar Hill Gang, they're all wearing, you know, right. uh, and even, you know, the Beastie Boys, everyone's wearing these Adidas tracksuits. And Marvin Gaye says that he's the guy who started that because he was sick of being uncomfortable. <laughs> And he was just like, I'm not going to do this any longer. I mean, part of it plays
0: into he's also has decided that he's going to make a serious go at at becoming one of the Detroit Lions. Um, <laughs> go, he wants to uh, play for the NFL <laughs> around 1970. Um, so he's training physically. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, maybe it's in response to the, the suicide attempt maybe it's sort of a bounce back and attempt to sort of lock in with his body I mean, there's right this that's the other thing is this sort of push-pull with his physicality and his mm-hmm. body and Smokey Robinson says that uh, Marvin will would always knock on his door and say hey, let's go for a run Let's go push ourselves and smokey claims that he was the only one crazy enough to like get out there with Marvin Who would like run in the snow like Rocky style? Um, get out in in the detroit snow.
3: And,
2: I don't and, I actually and didn't go. know that.
3: I I had an unfortunate incident. I'm I don't know if some of you are old enough to uh to uh, have uh you know Tammy and I recorded together years ago and uh, I uh, when uh, we lost her, I, it affected me uh, really uh, quite uh, psychologically and uh, I I really didn't care to perform after that.
2: After Tammy dies, he's like something in him Either breaks free or breaks loose, however you want to say it. And yeah. he's like Barry, I'm I'm going to record songs I want to record. And I, his brother has come, has been in Vietnam, right?
0: Right about the time that uh, Obi Benson, who was in the Four Tops, went to an anti-war rally in San Francisco, I think, and sees uh, a, a lot of police brutality um and and sort of creates the framework for the song what's going on pitches it to the four tops and they're like bad idea like this is not what we do um and so he sort of locks on marvin and marvin is not it's not instant for marvin but all these wheels are Mm -hmm. turning all the sort of like he needs to do his own thing and 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 fight with barry gordy his brother has these stories he does see what's going on in the world. And then there's also, I was kind of thinking about it, I was like, oh my gosh, is is what's going on sort of the first of its kind? And I was kind of like, no, it's not. Don't
1: worry. Don't worry. If there's hell below, we're all, we're, all we're all gonna go. go. Ah!
0: Curtis Mayfield comes out with Curtis, exclamation point, in 1970 with uh if there's hell below we're all going to go um and then also isaac hayes has hot buttered soul in 69 so that sound that sort of fusion jazz sound with um uh informed by by cultural happenings and taking political stances is is finding its way into soul before marvin does what's going on but I, i he's certainly the the biggest artist to decide to do something like yeah. that and of course Barry Gordy is like no effing way you you're not doing this
2: yeah and i think Marvin just just goes nuts and he says i'm, I'm going to do it anyway i you know that's one of the things right. that you, you i didn't know when we were but until we were preparing for this episode that the the song what's going on is I mean, that Obi benson of the Four Tops who really wrote the song. Marvin changes it and makes it his own, and he pr- starts to. I think he's producing himself on that record, um, and the the sound is so different from the get-go. And you have like the you know people's voices mixing in, and it's uh, you know it's it's a really unbelievably uh, polished. Smooth sound, but uh, it, it, one curiosity about what's going on is it is the first time that the Funk Brothers are ever credited by name, and right. James Jamerson is credited simply as the incomparable James Jamerson, uh, which I love because he's such a driving force here.
3: You had a couple of Detroit Lions football players on the session of what's going on. Is that true? Yeah, those guys. Yeah. Man, those football players are really far out. <laughs> I sought them out and I brought them in the studio, and they were just perfect. Hey, man, what's happening? Hey, baby, so and so. Yeah, slap. They slapped hands and everything. I was just great, you know. Anyway, you just have to hold down the profanity. <laughs> so I told them, I didn't know they were on national. They were going to be on record. They didn't say any cuss words or anything. Hey, hey.
1: Hey, hey, what's, hey brother, what's up now? is i big recording.
0: It's a concept album, and for an R&B artist, um, first of all, not something that Marvin Gaye liked to be, necessarily. Um, But for someone of his stature in that genre, this is a bit of a a, a first. So Rolling Stone, you know, like last Mm -hmm. week, just did their new 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. And this album was, was number one.
2: Wait, really? Um,
0: yep, really. Huh. Uh, and you can absolutely see why all the things that he's talking about then are still a problem today, and the the songs still hit you just as hard. "Mercy, Mercy Me." He's talking about he's talking about the
2: uh, mercury in yeah, the fish. You're like,
0: in the, 1971, they were dealing with this. <laughs> you know, we're still dealing with mercury in the fish. "Inner
2: City Blues." I mean, he's. It's definitely, I can understand why, especially right now, that would, that would, the, the album has like, its stature has only increased and it did extremely well when it came out. It was a smash. I mean, it was a, it was a huge hit. Um, and by the way, one of the people he's really in competition with who's younger than he is, but is Stevie Wonder. Who's also a lifer at Motown, and so Stevie, you know, starts. He he's also at the same time pushing the boundaries of what Barry Gordy was comfortable with financially and artistically. So there's a, he's, he's Marvin's not completely alone in needing some right. some leeway here, but he he's really the first through the door in Motown, which has been such a commercial uh, enterprise, and for them to do this is really you know again it's not Barry, but Barry. To his credit he doubles down
0: 1971 uh, Marvin gets a one million dollar contract with Motown um, based on the success of, of what's going on meanwhile and and Barry Gordy's making moves he he shuts down Detroit and moves everything to LA yeah, right?
2: and Marvin doesn't want to go this is one, one of the things that um, that David Ritz says about Marvin that really stuck with me is he says Marvin had no tolerance for emotional boredom. <laughs> <laughs> so he's not <laughs> creative unless he's completely agonized and and it yeah. almost always has to do right that's with his meter a-
0: right if he's not hurting then it's no it's probably yeah
2: if he's not hurting it's no good and that's what gets him out of bed and the only person there's always there's always these like handlers that are coming in to get marvin to do stuff and um the way that he's motivated emotionally through these um almost like madonna whore complexes he creates with women and uh know the the Anna is one of them who he, you know, he's totally unfaithful. She's totally unfaithful yet. They sort of are trying to stick it to each other constantly. It's very ugly. Everyone's aware of what's going on. And, um, and you, you, Tiptoeing through the
0: through. It through
1: must the room not have been a fun
2: environment, you know. Little oh, little Michael Jackson is coming in to you know record his vocals tomorrow, and when, here's Marvin Gaye right. just screaming at Anna Gordy. And
0: I'm sure Barry Gordy can can throw down the gauntlet with other artists, but it just does not work with Marvin, and and you got to figure that the harder you push, the harder he pushes back. So you gotta figure out a new way to negotiate with this dude. Cause he doesn't, as he says, he doesn't care about money. I'm not particularly fond of
3: money, if that's what you're asking me. Um, it's not my first prerequisite, you know. I'm, one of my great passions are cars, and um, I, um, I spent a lot of money on the uh, Ferris X. Which gets me in a lot of trouble cars and women i guess yeah.
0: fast cars fast women
3: well um some are slow cars or the women both <laughs> <laughs> okay chewing gum i love it
0: <laughs> he has no problem pissing yeah from away, this point on he it's is like doing marvin
2: right now. is never has any he's always jockeying for like huge sums of cash that he's owes the IRS, he never pays them. He he owes right. people all sorts of money. But then then he'll he'll score a hit that'll just be you know uh, worldwide, and just he'll clean, print money. Clean And state. then he just but then he loses it all. It's a it's it's the it's the actions of a of a drug addict in a lot of ways, but also a mercurial yeah. sort of genius. Um, right. Because he decides he, uh, he so instead of following up what's going on, he goes <laughs> out to Hollywood <laughs> and he says, I'm gonna well, I want to be I want to be in film. And I want to not only star in films and like direct them and write them, but I'm going to write a soundtrack for Trouble Man, which is, I haven't seen Trouble Man. I
3: don't know what the big deal is. You shoot him and he bleeds like anybody else, doesn't he? He knows that fool. So he he says you don't get a chance to shoot him, he has one edge, and that's his cool. But that's enough, baby, because he's thinking all the time. And if you want your ass... He gets it.
0: Was he the driving force in doing the soundtrack? Oh, he Trouble wanted Man? to do it. He like asked to do it. He wanted to do it. And I think it's wonderful. I had a, a compilation called Pimp's Players and Private Eyes and Across the 110th Street was on there. Shaft was on there with which I was. And
2: obsessed. Mayfield had done Superfly, um, right? I mean he'd Superfly, exactly.
0: So right. Shaft and Superfly are already out. They're big mm-hmm. hits. Um, and so he decides to do his thing. And I think Troubleman is an awesome awesome song and the and the the score is is great poor abby walsh and
2: you know one of the things you see the emergence of on what's going on that of course you know there's only one uh, there's only one vocal actually on trouble man which is the song trouble man everything else is
0: no there's is, there's there's um poor abby walsh has um poor abby walsh she just you know he just tells you the plot basically <laughs> he, he he narrates what's going on. Mr. T and Mr. Big and like all, all the bad wow. guys. He's, he's telling
2: you what's well, going really on. Well, he really starts using his falsetto almost uh, as as much as his other voices. As an he instrument. Has, you know, usually Marvin has is always thought as three different distinct voices, which is his falsetto. And then his yep. sort of strained, I heard it through the grapevine voice. And then his smooth, how sweet it is, yep. uh, you know, uh, ain't no mountain high enough kind of. And...
0: And every once in a while you'll hear, it's actually worth playing, um, you'll hear his low register, which sounds nothing like the Marvin Gaye that you know. In fact, when I watched Trouble Man, because I did, he I heard this version. This is not the single version of Trouble Man, but it's its the one that is in the opening credits. And I was like, who's this guy? Because he's gotten into, with what's going on, he's gotten into layering his vocals and as you said using his vocals as a, as an instrument and sort of playing with that sound but uh but check this out i
1: come up but now i'm fine cause i've been moving in these old i'm gonna keep moving that's time cause i come up hard i come up getting down that's There's only three, that's the strongest strong. taxes that get in trouble And hey. all oh. this I know How oh, you know oh. I know I ain't gonna let it wet me, babe No, no, no
0: Yeah, I mean, I love the falsetto version, but but that's interesting to me at, le- at least, and I just you rarely hear that.
2: I mean, Marvin his, has his, his musicality is all. Uh, he's playing a lot of the instruments on on these songs too. He's uh, he's so uh, right. he, he, because the Funk Brothers I don't think worked at least I, I might be wrong about that. I don't think they worked on the Trouble Man soundtrack in the same way. The Trouble Man film score was one of my my loveliest projects and. In-
3: And one of the great sleepers of all our time, I'll probably be dead and gone before I get the probable acclaim from the Troubleman album, musical track that I feel I should get, and put to a symphony. If someone took my album and did a symphony on it, I think it would be quite interesting.
1: talk to Chalky. This is T. Chalky's dead. Now I'm coming to get your honky ass.
2: But, you know, he, he decides around this time to follow up. He's trying to figure it out, and so he records a song called You're the Man, parts one and two, which right. um, stiffs you know it doesn't they release it motown releases it it's another sort of political single and
0: uh yeah it's about are are you are you the candidate for us it's 1972 it's the the nixon mcgovern election um again just as relevant today talking about like are you going to address black issues should we think about a female president (laughs) Our songs from those sessions that are, are great. They just they just we came out like the, the,
2: the song um a piece of clay is so good. Uh, they oh they, they just re- finally released it. So he records a whole record that he's gonna re- uh, release as you're the man, but he, he shelves it out of spite. Um and uh, a lot of those songs are part of the, the also the same sessions that produced let's get it on, but um. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff from that era.
3: I just sing them, you know. I'm, I'm. That's the business end of it, which I'm very upset with. But uh, I'm just the singer, the artist. I take the music, I sing it. I cannot get into the business of it, you know. <laughs> I can only be upset with the business part of it, you know. But as far as running it and not being in control of things, they do what pretty much they jolly well choose to do. So,
2: but you're the man, is. Uh he, he kind of, yeah, he decides not to release it. And instead, what comes next? Let's get it on. Let's get it on. Woo! Which, Lex, this is one of the great surprises to me in, in, in listening to all this stuff. I think Let's Get It On, to me, is, is the artistic high point of, of Marvin Gaye. And that's, a, that's it's saying really? a lot. I think that the, the wow. whole record... I, well, I, what I mean when I say that, it's not only just the very opening... 10 seconds of the song Let's Get It On which is as perfect an opening to the, to any kind of song like that of well, and it's been used to death at this point now oh, it's
0: bitch. like you look at a plate of waffles and uh, Let's Get It On comes on in a commercial you know it's been
2: I think used. originally he wrote the song it was, a, it was a religious song well
0: that's so interesting is that all these were sort of go- going to be religious songs and then he shifted gears and it, it's like this woman comes into his life, um, and basically is his muse, uh, during these sessions. And it's kind of like, was he going to write songs about sexuality and, and she just happened to be the one or did she actually sort of inspire Janice? This stuff? It's, it's, it's hard to tell Janice. No one's uh, named
2: Janice anymore, a, but, uh they Janice were then Hunter. and she was uh, you know she's she's the they great were then. almost like a borderline lolita character at the at, at the beginning she's because remember he's going from a woman yeah. who's 17 years his senior to a woman who's 17 years old and it's 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 a, it's a, it's, a de, it's a serious swing and he becomes obsessed with Janice in a way for the next for the rest of his life really obsessed with her in a way that um, he's like encouraging her to be with other men and then hating her when she acts on it and like for the, the stories they tell about Marvin Gaye sounds like he was very very um Hi. full full of self-loathing and he was not a happy man and even these songs of cuz let's get it on that album i my mind is the it's sensual and kind of i guess erotic is the is the right word for it in a way that um doesn't feel I mean, it's just, it's just, it has it, it stood the test of time. Everyone thinks this is incredibly oh, sexy music. But with the later stuff, once he can, conti- because he continues to go down this vein, it gets uh, uh, slimy, is one way to say it. Uh, You're talking about the 80s <laughs> d- stuff. But decadent. Uh, this is, uh, I mean, this is still, there's there's like a, celebration going on, but plus, well, he's pioneering, when I say it's the artistic high point, let me just say this, when I say it's the artistic high point, I think, I think Marvin Gaye is pioneering the kind of slow jam, soul sound, oh, totally. and doing it better than totally. anyone has ever done it, that people are still working with. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. He and it wasn't the there way for the Teddy yeah.
0: Pendergrass, and Barry and, White, and, and Barry White, and all that stuff, and then, yeah, everything that has come since the, the um, the neo soul stuff, the quiet storm, all—it's a whole genre that he unlocks here, and it happens kind of at the right time. Where because I thought about that, you know, the opening of "Let's Get It On," the the wah wah guitar, and and how that's been used and abused so much, and I was like, and then there's there's porn soundtrack. You know, chic porn soundtrack from the golden era. That I was like, when was that? I was like, oh my god, it was the. It was basically when he's recording this. There's Deep Throat was seventy two, Devil and Mrs. Jones was seventy three. Andy Warhol had done his blue movies, so like, porn is is like a hip thing in in nineteen seventy three hmm. when this album comes out.
3: I was just saying that if I did have my life to live over, what would you do? I would live a life filled,
1: engulfed, consumed by lust. You would? Yes.
3: Engulfed?
1: Consumed.
3: With lust? Yes. Just walk through that door.
0: So him taking on the theme of sexuality is totally like on the pulse.
2: he's using his vocals there by the way this is also around the time he stops writing lyrics and just uh, makes them up in the studio uh, from here on out i think but you know what i'm
0: game <laughs> like I, I love it I sometimes love it. I it works better it.
2: than other times and if, if i have a if i have any fault with what's going on it's a little there's a there's a couple songs where it's like okay marvin you could have spent like 10 more minutes on the lyrics before you went in <laughs> However Like woolly Holy And uh, you know Save the children
0: You sure love to ball <laughs> Well
2: on here It's you know Of course there's Let's get it on And then track four right. Is uh, keep getting it on And You sure love to right. ball Which was a single
1: Oh baby Please turn yourself around. Oh baby So I can love you good Oh baby so good, oh, just like you want me to. Oh, baby, you shall sure love the ball. Oh baby, you shall sure love
2: But during these sessions he right. records an enormous amount of material. This is a very prolific right. time. Janice is uh, has again. He, he was a, he was suffering from writer's block, and it just kind of explodes. Um, you know, <laughs> for yeah, lack of a better. Term. My love is growing. <laughs> There's. <laughs> I love you secretly. <laughs> Symphony is a song that that, that he writes with. Uh,
0: Symphony. He goes over and
2: over. Because he, he wrote them. it with Smokey. It's a good. Oh, it's Distant a good song. lover is one of the ones that's always known as like a really um the template. Because that he has a live album
0: after this and that. Distant Lover, I don't think was a, a single when uh, Let's Get It On came out, but then became a live single.
2: Yeah, I, I think Lover. so. And Distant Lover is like he. There's there's great footage of him playing that song. But before the live album comes out, there's a, a one off that I was completely unaware of. It's my favorite. And uh, it's they're my like, favorite. let's get him back into the studio with a woman one more time. And who's the biggest uh, star in the in the Motown roster still? and right. Ross, so Diana and Marvin appears in 1973 and he's got that kind of Cosby sweater on the cover. Uh are we still allowed to call it the Cosby sweaters, but it, it's a I it, yeah, right. This album is awesome.
0: It's so fun. Here I'll, I'll play my favorite song from
1: the album. There's many a smile you put on my face but I've If a girl loves you, you only call her weep. My mistake was to love you, boy. Oh, I love you, girl. My mistake was to give my all. Tell the world.
2: My, my mistake it's great. You know what's also all over that record is, uh, I think, what's his name, um... Uh, the, the 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 guitarist for the Funk Brothers, I think his name is Eddie Willis, um, and he plays electric s- sitar, like uh, that that sort of punch, oh. that sort of like little thin yeah. sounding guitar. It's all over it. You can hear it in a lot of the early uh, Jackson Five stuff, and it's all over. Mo- it's a, it's a Motown sound, and I love it. Oh, that song! Uh,
0: it's such a nostalgia uh, blast for me. I think don't knock my love.
2: It so much. It's uh, that's it. Don't don't knock my love. Yeah. Someone else might want to rock it.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, Wilson Pickett song, I think. This is something we didn't cover in the supergroups episode, but, but the uh, the idea of a duet record, and I, I feel like there are duet records, uh, male female duet records in the in the history of of, of popular music where the chemistry is is natural and obvious and then there are the ones that are clearly two stars that have been put together that don't have chemistry and these two did not get along
1: i love you babe. i love you too much. Because we've been
0: We just don't have time for each other and in fact they record a lot of it separately I think when it just stops working um, he's smoking weed in the studio and she's pregnant and she's like what and and she's pregnant I think with Barry Gordy's child um, so it's there's a lot of and this is
2: not cool stuff at this happening. point like this is retrograde and it, at the time you know let's get yeah. it on is where it's at and that's becomes an enormous right. worldwide smash and this is uh, uh, like an afterthought but as a result because the production values are so good and the, those yeah. two are such professionals um, it's it's Marvin singing like saying oh you think I can't sing that stuff that I used to sing like here you go here's like a whole album full of it I love it and you're the one who sort of pushed that on me a little bit in in, in the best possible way
0: (laughs) there's some great bonus tracks on there too there is this bizarre song which is a um, Burt Bacharach, Hal David song called The Things I Will Not Miss which is um, from a movie musical that came out the same year that is considered like one of the biggest flops of all time Horizon." Lost
2: Horizon yes I mean, I love the soundtrack because it's it's like Bacharach before he was he was disgraced and, and left. <laughs> Stop me! It's a complete
0: mess. With I mean, the people that are in it's like Michael York, Olivia Hussey, Peter Finch, John Gielgud. I mean, it, it's the it giant makes...
2: James Hilton novel made into a musical that no yeah. one. <laughs> About shangri really the things that I, I was like, I was like,
0: why are they talking about the things they will not miss? Oh, it's because the characters are they're on a Tibet. mountain somewhere, yeah. separated from the world. Yeah, they're into. In so we
2: go from here, though, Lex. What 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 goes next? Because it gets a little murky from here on out. Because he he, he starts to have to tour because he needs money, and um yeah in
0: yeah. Uh, well, so there's "I Want You," uh, which I, I, doesn't make a big impression on on me. It was really like more a, sort of Janice tribute. And Leon songs, Leon like.
2: Ware was sort of a lesser a lesser Marvin Gaye. Basically, he had recorded most of the record, and Marvin heard it and was like, "Ah, why don't I just uh, erase all your vocals and put mine on there and make up a bunch of lyrics <laughs> in <laughs> the studio?" And some of the stuff is okay. Uh, the song "I Want You" itself, but again, this is this is the this is "Let's Get It On." going to a sour uh, place because he and Janice are already on the rocks.
3: How do you feel about love? I don't know. Love is misery. (laughs) Love is miserable. I think I'll be a bachelor and I'll swing and um, I won't fall in love. I'll just be loveful be kind and good and um, have fun. I don't feel like being miserable. Marriage? Miserable. (laughs) <laughs> miserable. Sex. Sex? Oh, God. Sex. Sex is marvelous. Um, Love is miserable. And marriage sex is, is miserable. And sex is
2: great. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. It's a major, major theme in his life outside of sex and God is drugs. What it becomes is he—he he just becomes basically an absolute a coke hound.
0: He's hanging out with Ike Turner and Richard Pryor, getting high, and oh, it's like—that's a scene. That's that's a recipe. For and he disaster. has his own
2: studio at this point uh, that he's forced them to to, to make room, for him, and...
0: which is becoming sort of a a West Coast Studio Fifty Four. They say, I mean, it's just like a nonstop mm-hmm. party. Um, the IRS is 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 starting to to close in. Um, you know, squeeze the vice. Um, he's he's sort of created monsters in his competition. Te- the Teddy Pendergrasses of the world are are actually like starting barely. To certain Janice
2: Hunter starts dating Teddy Pendergrass. He right, hates Teddy right. Pendergrass, by the way. Let's just say that like he, <laughs> he's one of these people that's like he can cont- he comes back to in interviews all the time. It's like wait, I didn't mention Teddy. You just want you want to go back to okay.
0: God, what? what? Why are you talking about Teddy again? Um, one thing happens that I, I thought was of note, which is that in uh, 74, he does a, um, a concert special, uh, the Midnight Special, which features his parents. Um, his mom's on there sort of recounting what Marvin was like as as a boy. But the biggest one is his father's. That is, There's clips of him with his father sitting outside. His father's kind of graduated to like... Uh, sort of integrated the cross-dressing element um, in his, his public appearance. So he's wearing like a blouse, and um, they're sitting side by side, and his dad basically gets, kind of finds his way to saying like... And I'm going to give to you now before all these
3: cameras and for these people. I think you are one for myself. As long as I know you have a humble mind, and as long as you know there's a guard upstairs... You can call on him and respect the people. I thank you, a real wonderful person. I almost, I'm going to give that to his my son. And I'm proud of you. I really
0: am. And Marvin, like, like, kisses him on the cheek and, like, pulls him close. It's this it's this moment where you're like, oh, man, he got his, he got his dad to say it. And maybe he'd said it at other huh. times, but it's sort of a declar- declaration. And it, I, I found that interesting. Wow, I have right? not the, seen the that. The parents are started to come back in... in um, into his world a little bit as he's he's um, as he's getting big, um, but then of course in 75, uh, 75 through seventy seven yeah. the Anna he's, problem. He's finally, they're still married,
2: hair. even though they haven't been living together for years, yeah. and they finally. It's a very very long, messy, protracted divorce. Um, the only thing of musical note during this time Before the divorce is finalized Is he, he They push him to make a disco song And he, he, he makes the song Got to Give It Up Which is, you know I don't know if uh, I know that. You know, you know the song I mean, it's, 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 it's prototypical It's listen to it and then see if you can Not hear Don't Stop Till You Give It Up Till You Get Enough by Michael Jackson
0: I know that one. It's, it's, in it's an
2: incredible song. I mean, it's a, it's a disco standard. He 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 write it as a parody of a disco song, and of course the lyrics okay. are filled with insecurity and weird Marvin Gaye stuff. And he, uh, right. you know, this is what um, Michael Jackson hears, and he's looking for a new sound himself. And he basically copies it with the song Don't Stop to Get Enough, which is a huge hit. And then, want to be starting something, he actually um, later for Thriller, he also adapts parts of uh, uh, Marvin's chant here. And in fact, the, the, the uh, influence that Marvin Gay um, exerts on Michael Jackson is quite profound. If you see Marvin's fashion sense and his aviators and his sort of. Um, kind of oh, yeah. fancy dress that he wears, sort of at the at the at the at the Grammys and things like that. You can see where it's coming from, but again, um, it's a huge hit. And uh, there's a big lawsuit in 2013 because Robin Thicke's song "Blurred Lines" rips it off, and I think Marvin's kids uh, get like eight million dollars or some some huge oh sum. My but, gosh. Um, since "I Want You" didn't really do anything, and um, he's in bad shape, uh, although that song does well there's a very unorthodox divorce settlement that happens. you want to spill the beans?
0: Um, so basically, yeah, right. So he can't pay uh, a settlement, and so his lawyer comes up with the idea, well, what if you uh, create, what if you write and cre- make your next album uh, half, a, a percentage? Uh, I th- I've read a, a percentage, and I've also read half, of uh, the proceeds go to Anna, so basically that that'll take care of the the divorce settlement is whatever is yielded from this album. So he's like, "Great, I'll do it," thinking uh, I'll make a piece of shit for Motown and it'll screw Anna. Um, but as as Marvin uh, tends to do. Um, He gets invested in the wrong things and he decides he becomes obsessed with this album and uh he decides that he needs to sort of bare his soul and he recounts their marriage um he he works out all of his issues about the divorce on this album and it becomes this concept record about divorce it is called here my dear
3: This is what you wanted. Here, Here dear, my dear. Here it is. Here, my dear.
0: Here it is. At the time when it came out, it's it's sort of roundly rejected by fans and by critics. the 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 general response is, it's. It's quote unquote weird.
2: It is weird, <laughs> which
0: it is. It, it is weird. weird. But time has has um, revealed that it, it is it is unlike anything else out there. It's it's when I was going through my weird phase of sort of collecting um, esoteric albums and and interesting things. Uh, here my dear was one of them and I I listened to it to death and and I think it's I think it's one of the greatest yeah they say albums. it's I mean
2: again this is Marvin's very stoned most of the time and yet also inspired and full of agony and he's putting it all down on tape and he's trying to make himself feel worse like just in the same way that he basically pushed Janice Hunter to get with Petty, Teddy Pendergrass who he hated because he wanted to because right. he hated himself even more uh, here you have him writing lyrics and there's, a, there's an interview with Moss Def you know the rapper and he's just yeah, like yeah. Yeah, I remember listening I to that rap like, he's like Wait, what? what is this? I mean he's like what, what I can't understand is if you love me how could you turn me into the police there's another there's a, there's a, there's a quatrain here um, do you remember all of the bullshit baby you say you love me with all your heart if you ever love me with all your heart you'd never take a million dollars to part at the end of the song is that enough she's trying to break a man I don't understand somebody tell me please tell me please why do I have to pay attorney's fees <laughs> um, this is a joke I need a smoke wait a minute and it's it's that level of, and then in the middle of it, there's this really whacked out sexual fantasy called like a, a funky space reincarnation. A funky space kind reincarnation. Kind sci-fi thing.
0: What if, what if we met again in the future, thousands of years from here? That One of the lines is...
3: All right, everybody, we're moving now to Come in for our landing here, in Pluto. Now, all of you who are in group A,
2: Send you over to the the oh, I thought you were going to say, let's plug into this machine, let's touch each other and feel each other's ass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, there's some poetry, and then there's just some, just, come on, man. It, and it, it's all together, and it's one of these statements that is unlike, it, 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 it's not commercial.
3: Music is universal. Uh, nobody, music belongs to no one. Music belongs to God. And so... As the business is becoming the way it's becoming today, it seems that there seems to be a coming together all over the world of music, and it's going to come to a point where there will probably be no more categories after a while. <laughs> music will simply be music, uh, however you do it, and it'll be accepted. It's fastly coming to that, but there are those in the business who insist on holding on to the last vestiges of their prejudices, you see, meaning a little simple thing like winning an American Music Award, and then winning in all the categories, and then you watch the television the next day, and then you want to see yourself in your category, and they say, and the pop singer of the year is um, blah, 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 Roger Dalton or blah, 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 any white pop act. And then they'll go back down the list, and then you don't see any rhythm and blues um, acts on the TV. It's like we're, we're not prestigious enough to put uh, who won in the Black Soul categories? We'll omit we'll that because it's not that sort of thing, too. But sort of burns my crawl a little bit.
0: He lays it all out there. I mean, there are some very literal things in 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 these lyrics, as you already quoted. Um, <laughs> it's a
3: curiosity,
0: but also, I think it is a. Cu- but it's it's yeah. it's wild. I mean, it's it's a, it gets in mm-hmm. it gets in your brain. I agree. You know, it just sticks there. Anna's song um, You Can Leave But It's Gonna Cost You that's a great song um, my one of my favorites is, is When Did You Stop Loving Me When Did I Stop Loving You in fact why don't we play that
1: I'd rather remember remember the joy we shared babe. I'd rather remember all the fun we had all I ever really wanted was to love you treat you right, all we did was fuss and fight, it don't matter baby, take a listen, hey come on, 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 come on, I never thought I'd see the day when you put me through what you put me through, you try your best, you say I gave you no rest,
2: fabulous and the more you listen to it the less um, anarchic it actually feels. I mean again like there there is there is nothing else like it. It's Brian Wilson level of uh, of disclosure, and that is again uncomfortable. One of my in the in the um, liner notes of the reissue, there's, they talk about the cover, which the cover is very memorable. It doesn't look like any kind of uh, soul music cover you've ever seen, and uh, the the guy who who it was a fine artist named Michael Bryan who who made it. He said Brian penciled a drawing blending classic and modern elements. He told Marvin, "I see it as a juxtaposition of antiquity with the cruelties of modern." life great Marvin replied put me in a toga <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's the PCP talking
2: so yeah but this doesn't go anywhere commercially it's still uh, it's released on Motown and then um, so Barry is pissed and he lives in Hawaii out of a bread van for quite for a while I don't quite know what that means I mean I, I have a sense of what what but trucks carry around bread. But how do you live out like one of it? It's like a those?
0: Wonder Bread truck. They bring store to store, and and you you take your loaves. And so t-
2: everywhere he goes, he's Marvin Gaye. So he gets a lot of favors until they realize like he's right. not going to deliver on anything that he's saying, and uh, he's also just snorting more cocaine than you can possibly imagine. And I
0: think this is this is suicide attempt number two. Yeah. um is in Hawaii. Uh, he declares bankruptcy. Uh, Janice leaves him. Uh, he has to sell Marvin's room, which is kind of the biggest blow, I think. Um, not just the pilot blow, <laughs> but uh, the the Marvin's room. He, he really cared about that. was his
2: studio, right? That was mm-hmm. that was. And his he space. loves the studio. I mean, he thought, really yeah. is a. Cre- you you can see footage of him in the studio, and it's he knows what he's doing.
3: Oh, well, the absolutely worst rock bottom moment in the last seven years when I tried to commit suicide um, uh, through an overdose of cocaine. I was in an emotional state of, um, I've never been quite so depressed. I'm a bit of a manic depressant anyway. Most of the time I put on quite a face and an act, but I'm pretty depressed most of the time anyway. I have, as I said before, a lot of feeling inside for people and my love, my life, my job, what I feel I'm here for, my purpose. And I'm a little reluctant sometimes to get on with it I'm afraid I'm much too emotional uh, to be an artist, really. Um, to be a really good one, to be on the job all the time. Uh, I guard my heart pretty, pretty well these days because I'm afraid if I ever fell in love again and I met the wrong woman, I don't imagine how I'll live. I'm a very fragile heart. Now I put on a pretty roughish exterior, and uh, it's pretty thick. So
0: then, yeah, he goes to he goes to he flees to England. Um, he he bails on some tours. In fact, he's supposed to give a performance before Princess Margaret. Yeah, and
2: he totally and he doesn't flakes. he
0: the royal family, and uh, and so he has to leave England. Mm-hmm. Um, and ends up in Belgium. And again,
2: it's all self inflicted. It's not at it, it, no point was anyone being disrespectful to him. They these are people right. that are continually bending over backwards for him, but he's so paranoid and. Uh, hard to at this he's deteriorating at this point and he's yeah. so unhappy and he's running out of gas basically. yeah so he goes to Belgium where he hooks up with a sort of a, a, a guy there who is um, becomes really his, his his sponsor or his he, he yeah. starts to get his life back a little bit Meanwhile he's recording a record uh, that ends up being in our lifetime which he had viewed as being partly a spiritual album partly a party record.
0: Um, it's like the reverse of Let's Get It On, right? Because it sort of started as a disco. It started as something called Love Man, where he was trying to sort of compete with Michael Jackson and Prince, um, who are on the rise. Um, and then he, he basically thinks, I, I can't do this. I, I need to do something emotionally true and it, it it goes the opposite way it goes towards religion and and, and concept it yeah there's like one of his one of his
2: time. better religious songs is called praise which is on there which is kind of like a funky workout song which is a, a single <laughs> that you know i think he records the vocals lying down or something like that but it's it's a good song and the, the cover is 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 literally marvin as a devil and marvin facing marvel marvin as an angel and yeah. a lot of this paranoia um or his just um uh, I, what you would call it almost is like religious schizophrenia is at its... It, it, it. The cocaine does not do good things for it. Because even, you know, even in the midst, middle of what's going on, people forget there's a sermon about God's love in the middle of that. In, in the middle of a lot of these records, even I Want You, he just, it, it, Hear My Dear, he'll just stop the sort of song about the sexy reincarnation and he'll just tell you... In space. He'll tell you all about God and heaven and, and how you should be living and all this stuff. And it's, it's he's a man in serious conflict. And so the, in our lifetime, which is what comes out Is kind of a concept record of that But he never finishes it that
0: Barry, well, It's sort of leaked right? Barry
2: gets so mad that he, he takes it And he releases it before Marvin's finished with it And that's what finally Finally pushes Marvin To leave Motown Now Marvin could have gotten a much as We've talked about it before Marvin could have gotten a much better deal anywhere else Because Barry Gordy was not forthcoming with the dough Um, but he was married and the family and all this stuff and he wanted to be part of a Black-owned business you know that was very important to him Mm. and yet um, he finally leaves Motown after this this is like feels like a Mm. deep betrayal this
3: jockeys um, and music people feel awfully free with um, editing and splicing and changing things about and it drives me crazy in fact it's the reason why I left Motown and why I asked Barry Gordy to release me my last album in our lifetime was tampered with them um, horribly and uh that was abominable to me and i um, i couldn't deal with it anymore and um which is basically why i asked to be released
2: and the record right. is a little half baked i mean if you there, there's there's an extended edition yeah. of it where you've recorded a lot of other stuff and some of it is very strange and some of it i mean if you listen to in our lifetime um there's this on the, on the expanded edition uh there's a song
0: I, there's Ego tripping Out Ego tripping Out is like this is kind of fun the single the disco single that was sort of still has traces of the Love Man sessions before it, it became in our life. if
2: you want to hear his actual th- philosophy on uh, or his cosmology you might say his metaphysical oh, yeah. the song Life is Now in Session is a, this is a this is an outtake it's quite a weird song the artist pays
1: the price won't have to pay Only you would listen To what he has to say but There are songs of wisdom And there are songs of Satan And there are songs from loving And there are songs from hating there are songs from lust And there are songs from pain some something done chosen men. Something been
2: insane.
1: Groove, baby.
2: So that happens. That's 1981. Um, so you think, Marvin, this story is just about over, right? You
0: think it's over. Yeah, yeah right. Nope. The biggest single of his career. Um, and it happens, it starts in Belgium, right?
2: Uh, yeah, well, I mean,
0: we, there's we, various stories about sort of
2: lawsuits. The, the biographer David Ritz, who i have been quoting from, uh, he claims that he wrote the lyrics and gave him did got Marvin stiffed him, which is highly likely that that actually happened.
0: What's the lawsuit aspect? He sued. He sued the they gay stopped talking family. for a long
2: time because Marvin refused I to give see. him credit. I think he now has credit on the song. Gotcha. Um, and it's a very simple song.
0: <laughs> He's hot, just like an oven.
3: I don't know how many phases my music's gone through. I write my music according to my lifestyle. If I'm sad, I write sad music. If I'm being divorced, I write divorce albums. If I'm, uh, if I'm sexy, if I feel hot, you know, horny, I write a horny album. <laughs> Columbia, which is his new label,
0: the division of CBS, sends him um, a drum machine and a synthesizer, and so he's that. that sort of dictates what this sound is um a- as he's he's noodling with this 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 song uh sexual healing and then the other s- stuff that's going on but he's sort of by being in europe he's partially influenced by craft work and new wave he's dating um, like dutch
2: models and stuff
0: yeah so there's a, there's a lot going on he's he's v- very much embracing the early 80s um with this album. And they, I, I always say that the album cover looks like one of those interstitial, like, uh, host photos on SNL it from like totally 1985. Does. Oh my
2: right? gosh. That's a perfect description. It's, it's a worldwide, uh, you know, mega, mega smash. And just when you thought Marvin Gaye didn't have it anymore, he delivers this. And he comes
0: back home and uh, it, it launches this this last leg. It's, it's big enough to to bring him back in a major way. He He hits all the you know, he does interviews. You know, a, a lot of what's on YouTube are interviews from 1981, 1982, 1983, as he's he's sort of uh, dealing with his return and and being this you know this new sex symbol. Yeah.
2: Again. I mean, there's there's also a documentary of him walking around Belgium, which is very <laughs> it's incongruous, very and I, I love it. He does a version of the Lord's Prayer in like one of the oldest churches in Belgium. Oh, yeah, right. You posted it, that. It, it, it kind of was like, wait, what, what is ha-? And he's very, very oh, soft-spoken. This. You can't tell if it's just he's so stoned. He's so, high he's so high in a lot of these interviews. Yeah, he's, he's not in good shape and he's he's a very very unhappy guy the
1: hit record brings not only money but status again then doesn't it yes, and that's oh what's important he's back to me. on
3: top I don't know where that is never did actually I, I'm awfully afraid of getting there there isn't uh, I don't know where one can go after that it looks to me like down mm. so I wouldn't like to get there too soon Soon ripe, soon rotten. My mom used to always
2: say. One of the great final moments of his, which I, I I read about it enough to finally seek it out and find, is in 1983 he sings the Star Spangled Banner at the NBA oh, yeah. All Star Game, and he does it basically completely rearranges it and will play it. It he, it it takes that sort of weird beatboxy drum machine sound from sexual healing and he rearranges it and the audience at first has no idea what's going on because it's really strange and a huge risk and then by the end it just turns out he has he has transformed this song into something spectacular and really cool um and to my i listened to it and i was almost at the verge of tears at the end uh and you're seeing like kareem abdul jabbar sitting there it's like wait what? yeah yeah um I love that. Right before
0: that. So he has The Last Concert Tour, which I had that CD <clears throat> in the 90s, and it was one of the worst albums I had ever heard in my life. Uh, everyone describes is, it as a
2: total nadir. He starts is, stripping uh, on stage.
0: He starts stripping on stage. like He
2: thinks that's what people I, I mean, want. It's
0: Right. He's so sort of desperate to to please his audience and desperate for, for I guess, I don't even know if desperate's the right word, but but he feels as though he needs to sort of bear everything in the name of his his music and of course the theme of sexual healing. He's really embracing this. And at the end of every show, he's he's basically down to you know his his underwear. And it sounds like the tour is a nightmare. There's like a zillion hangers on. And um, someone said it's the, the most the drug cocaine scene is that they've ever seen
2: in, on any yeah. tour of all time. And this is someone who'd been on like the Mad Dogs and Englishman tour. And they were just like, this is this is insanity. Awful.
0: And so uh, at the end of that, he ends up living with his parents in West Adams in, in L.A. in the house that um, he bought them. It's I guess it's sort of a compound. His brother is next door and people are showing up like in the middle of the night. Um, Look into party. He's 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 twenty four seven high. Um, he's also super, as you said, super paranoid. But he's also gotten a sort of a collection of guns because he feels like somebody's coming to kill him. So he makes sure that his brother has a gun. He makes sure that actually his dad has a gun um, to protect him if if need be. But I think his dad starts to to crack with all the ins and outs of partiers at the house. And um, uh, and also I think the dad is worried that Marvin's gonna screw up even the house that they're gonna lose the house too. So um, the family issues are getting worse and worse and it takes place like 11 a.m or something. Oh, oh it's it's that the dad um, gets in an argument with his yeah, his mom the, he and he, he finally he defends his mom and for the first time, in his lifetime as you said he 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 hits his dad and then beats the crap out of him and at which point the dad walks away goes into the other room gets the gun that um, Marvin gave him, comes back in and shoots him twice and then the uh, his sister-in-law comes in having heard the gunshot um, calls 911 but the, the father won't say where the gun is the father is just sort of done his piece and is traumatized by what he's done, and then the ambulance drivers won't come inside until they know where the gun is, so Marvin is like bleeding out on the ground as, you know, potentially he could have survived had um, they they gotten to him sooner, but I mean, it's just sort of...
2: And the line, though, from everyone is saying that Marvin didn't really want to live anymore himself. like
0: was, Right, that the suicide that he could, he could never enact for himself, he kind of forced his father's hand I mean who, who knows but but sort of the line that the siblings Marvin's siblings always say is that the dad always said um, I, I brought you into this world I'll take you out knowing that like if you ever struck your father he would come back tenfold which is exactly what he ends up doing yeah. um, and in a way I mean it is a Shakespearean ending
2: that's the thing like this is the stuff of opera this, this whole thing. yeah um, that's what it feels like to me. I mean, you could you could you could you could actually dramatize it with angels and devils and Greek gods and things like that, um, and it would be very convincing because you have someone who's just so gets so inspired yet so full of self loathing and insecurity, and has such highs highs and such low lows and so many comebacks and so many also near misses and so many like important right. foils. I mean, he he cycled through an enormous amount of talent um, just as collaborators and here you have it. So,
0: yeah, I mean, there, there's this, you know, this running theme, it starts at the beginning of, of like, he takes punishment for love and you would think uh, in another story, it would play out metaphorically with somebody else, but it ends up playing out with the very person who punished him, uh, you know, and, and held love in front of him. And, and he takes it out with that very, his, his own monster and then in this sort of pure victory was this the perfect way to die if he if he hated his father to leave his father with the guilt of killing him i mean that's that's just a dumb guy's opinion
2: no he's the great star in this constellation uh, he's convicted though isn't he
0: he is um there's there's some other stuff at play i think he he gets um a, a lighter sentence because there's there's like a brain tumor involved, um, and or the, at least the lawyers play that up, um, and so he doesn't get a, a full uh, life sentence or anything, but he dies in the 90s, I think. In, 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 uh, you know, a retirement
2: home. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, and I think uh, her <laughs> mother finally leaves him after after all yeah, right. said and done. It's like it, it took. Yeah, I mean, I can't live with him now that he's killed my son. It's now
0: that it's he's very. My it's son.
2: very. It's very troubling to be honest with you. But again, there's so much beauty that came out of it. So, do you want to go? Oh my do you want to talk about your top um, five? Or is there things we want to? Sure. There, top, there's plenty top, of posthumous stuff, by the way, because this man was in the studio a lot it's going to continue coming although it sort of stopped for a while it started and stopped but i think that we're going to see a lot more
0: the 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 stuff the sort of the sleaziest stuff that that you mentioned before um comes out posthumously out of those sexual healing sessions sadomasochistic beauty where he has a british accent and he's sort of enacting his fantasies and then um, there's all kinds of
2: yeah we, we didn't talk about shit. I mean he's got a very uh, he loves SM and uh huge huge uh,
0: sanctified lady uh,
2: yes which is not the real name uh, yeah. it, 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 everything gets sanitized a little bit and then you can you can yeah. hear his he was trying to shock people and uh, he is an interesting man and so uh, I'm glad we devoted right. this episode we could keep talking about him forever but what, what are your what are your top five because I decided to go with the top five songs of Marvin Solo and the top five duets oh wow alright I have um, a top
0: five and, and then some so I'll do uh, the first one is You're the One for Me which we played from the Moods of Marvin mm-hmm. Gaye um, When I Feel the Need which is an unreleased song from around that period from like 67 68 Mm -hmm. did you check out those those unreleased um there's an unreleased record i saw the thing Um, from
2: motown i I haven't heard it yet
0: yeah motown sessions um that one is is awesome again it's it's pretty somber um but, but really good trouble man makes my list uh my mistake uh from that diana and and marvin album um and the things I will not miss that, that song from Lost Horizon, that Burt Backrack, Hal David song. And then I, I, all of here, my dear. All of it. I, I, I just think all of it. I mean, I, I'm recommending that you go and, and you listen to that album, but my favorite song off of that is When Did You Stop Loving Me? when did i stop mm. so that's it
2: for me well that's the our only overlap is cuz i think that song is uh, uh, oh, immaculate when i mean when he yeah. finally gets to the quote unquote chorus although there's other choruses it's it's not linear songwriting by any stretch but when he finally says when did you stop loving me when did i stop loving you i mean that is a euphoric moment in a, a gut wrenching song with with all sorts of inappropriate details mixed in. It's, it's uh, really something. So for me, uh, I would put High Herded Through the Grapevine in there just because, but I, I'm not sure. That we're not really looking for the huge hits. So uh, scratch that. Uh, Life's Opera is a song that he recorded during the Let's Get It On sessions. With He wrote it with oh, Ivy yeah. Joe I Hunter. Like it's a long sort of like MacArthur t- Park type song. And it's got a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's got a lot of the spirituality stuff. And it's got a lot of the sort of meandering uh, cosmic things. But it, it it feels a little bit more premeditated and planned out. And I think it really is a beautiful piece of work. It was released in one of the posthumous records. Um, I, mercy, mercy, me. The ecology from uh, what's going on. I think oh, the yeah. drum sound itself. Um, that weird echoey cheap sounding drum that kind of burrows into your brain the second you hear it you'll know what it is uh,
0: and how about the ending of that song it's got that, that weird um, sort of sound pattern that happens at, at the end you know it's this huge hit and then the end is is like Lynchian, yeah, I, n- I know exactly what
2: you mean. And it's uh, yeah. these keyboards um, that, that come yeah, into play. Yeah, that's um, The next is Only a Lonely Man Would Know off MPG. It's another one of those sort of Whitfield yeah. songs, which is, it's great. Uh, and while I love Baby Don't You Do It from the early days, I would probably put you on there again. I just I I happen to really dig that 67 and 69 period. If we're looking at duets... Um, I do. It takes two with Kim Weston. It's a standard for yep. a reason. Uh, I think if I could build my world around you with Tammy Terrell is fantastic. California Soul, which is um, a song that was. Who made that famous? Marlena Shaw made it famous, and it's okay. It's a. It's. A, it's it, she has a funkier version, but it's a awesome song. It's written by Ashford and Simpson, and the the flip the oh, flip really? side of it, or I think the A side of it, is actually the Onion song which is another great tune. It's, they're stretching the metaphor. It's an extended metaphor, shall we say, that I'm not sure lyrically. It's, it's a little uh, overreaching, but it, uh, it is a, it's, a, it's infectious. But um, I, this is slightly a cheat, but Tammy Terrell, there's one solo record of hers, and there's a song on there called This Old Heart of Mine is Weak for You is... Just uh, a, a lo- lovely, like, it's fast-paced, and you, it just showcases her vocals. And then I love that You Are Everything with Diana uh, Ross, which has that uh, electric uh, sitar thing, um, and the two of them sort of crooning together.
0: Man, I, it, it made me realize I need to listen to a lot more Diana Ross than I do. It,
2: she's, a, she's a rare instrument, because she doesn't... Some people would say she doesn't technically have, like... She doesn't have, like, a Mariah Carey-type voice, you know? she no. but She has this... Uh, je ne sais quoi that that producers would kill for that clearly was a goose that laid the golden egg many many times right can we send it out on the Star Spangled Banner
0: yeah but hold on I want to do a little bit of housekeeping which is that um, I I think we should make this our first episode in the new season sure Um, I don't know how you feel about that sure but the reason why is because I, I, have, to, I have to apologize for my, the way my voice sounds in our what will be our next episode, which is the Nick Lowe episode. Suddenly, I sound like I'm calling from Belgium, 1980. Um, but you sound great, just so, you know, if somebody tunes in and goes like, what? why does his voice sound like that? I just, ah, I just had to explain, and the reason why is we're still rec- recording remotely, and of course, you know, there's always little flubs here and there. We're still working out, and and I screwed the pooch on on that one, but it's still, it's a great episode.
2: Oh well, I'm pumped for it. Disclaimer over, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. our listeners can can deal. But yeah, let's
0: let's send it
3: out on on. The, I, I I would love to hear this. So I've asked God that when I sang it, would he let it move men's souls? Say,
1: can you see By the dawn's early light What's so The twilight's last gleaming, blue broad stripes and bright stars. Yeah.
3: to stay away a while to realize how great
1: this country is.